the Empire Podcast this week, we keep both eyes open as Nick Fury himself, Samuel L. Jackson, talks Captain Marvel. I talked to Bree and she told me she was doing the movie. And so you hear secondhand from, from Bree. Yeah, it's kind of firsthand. You know? yeah. If I hear from Captain Marvel, it's kind of like, okay, <laughs> And Ricky Gervais rocks up to the pod booth for a lovely chat about his new Netflix show, Afterlife. I'm a toddler. <laughs> I'm a toddler. Or a dog. What's your favourite thing? The thing I'm doing now. It's my favourite thing. All that and more on the movie podcast that with Gervais and Jackson on the same episode is basically turning into extras. Patrick Stewart's going to be on here next saying, it's too late, I've seen everything. Hello pod, <laughs> I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. We're back in our pod booth in London after a lovely trip up north at the weekend, beyond the wall, to the Glasgow Film Festival. That episode with Sir Michael Palin is up now, should you wish to give it a listen. And my two colleagues of such lethal cunning have followed me back from Scotland. First up is a canny lass who spent much of the weekend gazing longingly in the direction of Hamilton. <laughs> it's a place, Helen, not a person. It's both. It's like Asgard. <laughs> it's Helen O'Hara. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm all the better for having spent the weekend in Scotland, of course. But nice, wasn't it? It was good. Yeah, really what, was your, good. what was your favourite thing that you did in Scotland? Um, we went for a very good meal at Mother India. Mother India's Cafe. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Fantastic. One of the best Indian meals I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, our second colleague of such lethal cunning wasn't there because he was getting a later train. Because next up we have a man, a TV expert, who's seen as many films as he's had Neeps and Tatties. It's James Dyer. What did you just say? Neeps and Tatties. What are these things? It's a Scottish delicacy. Right. Potatoes and onions, essentially. Okay. All right, should we start with a question? Let's do it. Let's have a question. Uh, the question comes from Twitter, and it comes from at Dan Peckett, and he asks, with Captain Marvel on the way, what is your favourite pet in a movie? <laughs> Nanook from The Lost Boys. Okay. Oh, that's I a love good Nanook. one. Sure, you're yes. working out. I, I'm, I'm obsessed with huskies for a start, and obviously <laughs> he is one. But also, he like kills vampires and everything, and he's super cute. And oh, that is the dog that I want. I want that dog to follow me everywhere, like the littlest hobo, but you know, with sharper teeth. Yeah, and in case you're ever beset by vampires, which I imagine happens a lot around your part of the world. Well, you know, it, it does happen. Yeah, but um, I mean, it's presumably we're talking like actual corporeal pets. Like I couldn't have like a like a dragon or some sort of demon what? thing. Can, or, I think I, you can have. All I have it, on my list is toothless. <laughs> oh, oh, good. That's oh, good. Is, is toothless a pet? Yeah, I mean, he's more yeah. of a partner, Helen. I think you're really sort oh of dim- you're diminishing his role. He's an animal who lives <gasps> with his. He is How an animal. dare you! He like is a sentient creature, yeah. Helen, and you are a racist. <gasps> How dare you? Are you saying animals aren't sentient? Yes. Well, <laughs> controversial. Uh, so you got Toothless on your list. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to allow, because the, the question is favourite pet in a movie, I'm going to allow things that aren't dogs, that aren't cats. So therefore, the only answer, the correct answer to this question is, of course, the Rancor. Oh, yeah, because the Rancor Keeper loves him. He loves, he him. loves him. And look, kills him. The oh. bastard. It's an impractical pet. I mean, you're going to have landlord issues up the arse, really, with that one, aren't you? You're just not going to be able to. Not for long. I mean, that's actually a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> you could solve most issues In with fact, a, it'll with an have its landlord up the arse. Uh, oh. I'd say, say, what? No. In through the mouth and yeah, okay, I got yeah. it. Out the arse, maybe yeah, not up the arse. Yeah, we didn't yeah. need it. But, um, I thought you were going to say a goldfish called Wanda. Oh, that is true. Not that really a rancor, true. though, is it? No, it's not. It's a goldfish. No, in a fight, I know who would win that <laughs> one. But you're right, uh, Ken, Sir Michael Palin. Indeed. My good friend. Yeah. Mikey. 
Sir Mikey P. Uh, yeah, as Ken in A Fish Caught Wanda. He has many fish, but he is his beloved one, James. And you'll know this because you love comedy. I do. So yes, I love comedy. You don't hate A Fish Caught Wanda, I believe. Am I right? Don't hate that? it, no. Okay, that's good. We're, we're off to a good start. Wow. He's learning. Such <laughs> glowing praise. <laughs> his, uh, his CPU is learning gradually. Well, no, see, see, I think I'm growing as a person because, as you will have known from clearly listening to last week's Pilot TV podcast, oh. you will know that we reviewed three sitcoms and I loved all of them. Yeah, but like Dairy Girls is like unaccountably brilliant, so yeah, of course you would. But I really enjoyed uh, Ricky Gervais' Afterlife, and I really enjoyed Home as well, Rufus Jones. You enjoyed uh, Afterlife, oh, I did which has Afterlife. an amazing pet in it. Very lovely dog. I don't remember the dog. Doesn't tend to end well for a lot of pets, does it? Wanda gets eaten. The Rancor gets crushed mm. by a, a callous Jedi. Oh, evil monster. That's that's, that's yeah, very sad. Yeah, but the, the, the dog and the cat usually survive. Usually, yeah. Not in Jaws, maybe. Damn you, Spielberg. This is true. The yeah, dog is um, eaten in Jaws. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, in, in I don't know, um, Independence Day, of course, the dog survives the gigantic wave of fire by jumping. <laughs> now, so it can happen. wouldn't it have been just toasted by the heat? Alone? You would have been toasted by the heat. The dog is fine. What with his flammable hair and its... For, with his nimbleness that, that jumps yeah. for the door. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Any more for any more? Or are we, ha- sure we decided that the Rancor is the winner? I'm sure we're forgetting a lot of great pets. You couldn't pet a Rancor. You really couldn't. How do you know? I mean, you, first of all, it's just covered in drool and other people's entrails. And I just I just don't see myself like snuggling up in front but, of the TV with a Rancor's head in my lap. Well, no, you couldn't. But that's because it's take up your entire living room. It would squish yeah. your lap. Yeah. I mean, it would be very uncomfortable. What but, about what about Willie? I mean, was that really a pet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, well, still, once he was free, presumably less so. But before mm. he was free, when he was still captive, Willie. Oh, you mean free Willie? Mm. But either then, you couldn't sit in your living room overnight and stroke Willie. What well, if you had a big? If you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else? Bears, snakes, gentle bends. The bear from the edge. We're gonna kill the bear. It's, it's not a pet. It's not right. a pet. Well, what happened if they hadn't killed it? Yeah. And they'd taken it home. Uh, it would have killed everybody. How about the lion in Born Free? Uh, okay. Elsa. Uh, again, is it a pet? I mean, it is. It lives in or the house for a long time. Or is it just human adjacent? It lives in the house for a long time. It's fine. It's okay. It's gravy. Mm-hmm. Has anyone seen Roar? The uh, yes. The movie which uh, starred, I think it was Tippi Hedren and a young Melanie Griffith, and it was filmed with actual lions running, running wild. Running around their took house. A, yeah, running yeah. around their house and took ages to film. And uh, People kept and, dying. And- <laughs> amazingly, no one actually died on the film, but you wonder how. It's yeah. it's kind of It's kind of weird. Yes, mm. we haven't even done like animated pets who are always good because they're a little bit more capable, uh, like the the chameleon and Tangled and Disney. I like pets, the, chameleon. Kind of the chameleon. Does it have a name? What's it? Pascal. 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 Yeah. Or the yeah. horse. Also, Goliath is pretty great. My actual ideal pet, and I'm not kidding about this, is Harry Dresden's dog from the Dresden Files books. He's a dog called Mouse. He's a Tibetan temple dog or a Tibetan mastiff, I believe they're called. Um, and he's also kind of slightly part demon. He's kind of mystical, so he's super intelligent. You can just tell him to do things and he'll kind of just do them. I'm down with a part demon dog. <laughs> but a good demon, like not a bad demon. If the oh, Golden Compass wasn't shit, I'd have said one of the demons in that, like Pantalimon, but it was shit. So Again, I want them. are they pets? I, they're though? not pets, they're demons. But hang on, you just have if, named a demon dog. No, 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 no anything, this is different. Those are like people's souls. I named an actual pet. I could have someone's soul as a pet. I, of all people, could have someone's yes, soul as a pet. Yes, but it would have to be your own soul, so there, you're shit out of luck. Yeah, yeah because we've established <laughs> many, many times you are completely and utterly soulless. Thanks. <laughs> you're the one who established it, and I, I'm just commenting on it. Okay. 
I'm, I'm crestfallen. <laughs> what would your demon be, do you think? A porg. Oh, that'd oh, be that good. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Ewoks, do they count? No, no, they're sentient creatures yeah, once again. Yeah. They could fill out an exam form. They could take a driving test. And sure. that's that's my, I think ultimately that's my test. That's my metric. If they could drive a speeder bike, <laughs> yes. then they're sentient. Yeah, precisely. Um, all right, three more pets I'm going to throw in. One, Bub the Zombie from Day of the Dead. Technically, that's a pet. He's chained up. Uh-huh. He shows nothing but dog-like devotion to but his master. Would you pet him? You would, because Bub has been trained not to bite humans unless, of course, they're nasty. Oh. Nasty. Yeah, but so would you pet him then? Yes, I would pet okay. him because You're he could nasty. tell, he could sense the goodness inside me. Wow. <laughs> At least somebody can. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so hang on. I'm evil. He's soulless. What yep. does that make you? I mean, lost, I suppose. <laughs> In the wrong room. How did I get here? Why does this keep happening to me oh God, every single week? Someone help. All right, two more pets. We can't talk yep. about movie pets and not talk about Baxter from Anchorman. We just can't. Oh, we really can't. We just can't. We can't. He had a whole block of cheese. He had a wheel of cheese. Oh, God. Yeah. He, um, he communicates with the bear at the yeah. end. He saves the day. He gets punted off a bridge. Yes, that was my best part of the leading film. Leading to Ron being in a glass case of emotion. Yeah, that's all fair. Yeah. This is going to be my new thing on the Empire podcast. I'm just going to uh, start describing bits from my commander, James, and watch him die a little bit inside. <sighs> Do you like the bit with the... Um, no. What about no. the... No. I like the bit with... No. <laughs> All right, last pet. Reggie, the pet snake from the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um. It's even referenced in a line of dialogue. That's just my pet snake, Reggie. I know it's referenced. I'm not sure that that warrants him being, you know, the great pet. He scares the, the shit out of Indiana Jones. Yeah, but so do all his cousins. But it's beautiful foreshadowing. And also, this is a man we've seen not really be... He's come through unscathed from poison darts and all sorts of weird booby traps and obstacles. And it's a snake that puts the fear of God up him. And it's Reggie. Well done, Reggie. Okay. Uh, the Rancor, then? Sure, let's just go with the rancor. It's, yeah. Right, it's not like we've been talking about animals for the last 18 hours. So. Have we? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been like 10 minutes. It's, it's, been, it's been six minutes, yeah. The rancor is the winner. I'm delighted to announce that the rancor is the winner. And if you want to have your question read out on the Empire podcast, as Dan Peckett found to his cost, you can get in touch via a number of methods. We are on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it. You can Facebook us as well where we're Empire Magazine. And you can email us also podcast at empireonline.com. How exciting. Time now for our first guest, making a welcome return to the Empire podcast. He's a comedian, a writer, a director, an actor, a prolific tweeter, and the creator of shows like The Office, Extras, Life Too Short, Always Diva Merchant, and Derek on his ownsome. He struck out solo again with Afterlife, an exploration of grief and healing which launches on Netflix today. It also has an amazing dog that Jimbo can't remember. Uh, All six episodes are on Netflix as of today. It is, of course, Ricky Gervais and he came into the pod booth recently to have a good old natter with me about a great many things. Please do enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of Afterlife, the writer of Afterlife, the director of Afterlife and the executive producer of Afterlife. I'll be grilling you in that in a few seconds. Ricky Gervais, how are you, That just means I'll get paid a fourth time. That's what I was wondering. Like, what, what does an executive producer do Well, when... it means I don't have to take any... Um, Shit from Any orders. <laughs> I'm in charge. <laughs> but it's you are in charge. You're the writer yeah, exactly, and director. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It, it, even if I wasn't, it would be hard to <laughs> not be in charge. But, um, yeah, 
Uh, I don't. I don't know what it means really. It mean it means something in this context, right? But there's also where it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Where people put their name to something. Friends of a friend of a friend, or yeah. someone who put some money yeah. in. That sort but, um, of thing. I, yeah. I did. I did do a lot of the work. Yes, you did. Uh, so you're you star in it, obviously. You yeah. wrote it and you directed it. Do you see those three disciplines as very much entwined? Yes, they are. Okay. They, because when you're creating something, it's it it happens in your head. Yeah, you don't you don't think in sentences and you don't departmentalize really. You, and when I write something, if I write a screenplay for someone else, that's a chore. That's a lot of work and admin. Right. Whereas if I'm writing for me, I know I'm directing it. Yeah. So it you can you can be more creative in a way because when you write something and you're you're doing it on the laptop and you're putting it into you know final draft. Mm. You're thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking about when you're trying to create something. Okay. You shouldn't be thinking about admin and punctuation and spell check and yeah. structure. And you should be lying back, uh-huh. drinking, looking at a ceiling. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. And I think my best writing comes when I'm ro- running or on a plane drinking champagne at altitude. Do you know what I mean? There's right. no... There's no admin. There's no. You just. You just do it. It's just so, you um, and the page. Yeah, and so yeah. it all comes at once. And I and I, I jot these down, and then you know you workshop it, and uh, it's quite a nice, pleasurable process doing it all. Uh-huh. People think it's harder. It's not. It's harder not being in charge. Okay. You, well, in terms of, in terms of so if you were say the writer. Yeah. And just a writer. Yeah. And someone else was directing it. Well, you, you, you'd feel. Yeah. yeah well, there's two. There's, there's, either way, it's right. I've been on films where the director is hired. Mm. He's hired by the studio. He has to call to change a word. Yeah. Or to worry about a shot. You yeah. know. Likewise, I've heard stories of like writers hand over their screenplay and can't watch the film because they go, "This is too depressing." Yeah. So, um, you know, win, lose, or draw. This is how I wanted it. There's no ambiguity. This mm. is, you know, the buck stops with me, and that's and and that's the only that's the only pleasure for me. Yeah, really creating something and it turning out like I wanted. When was the last time that happened to you that you had a sort of creative struggle to that people were not sticking their oar in, but maybe that you weren't getting your vision one hundred percent? Well, on I the don't page. think since the office, where yeah. uh, you know, lucky, you know, very lucky to get fine led it, and I think that's because it was you know low low budget on a Monday in. <laughs> You know, July and no one knew I was. <laughs> like whatever. Exactly, whatever. No, it was. But then when it works out well, you yeah. get it again. And you keep yeah. getting it until you really, really screw up. So, but having said that, you know, when I say fine led it on a, on a TV show or something, there's still 60 people involved. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. still... Uh, the, the, the only thing that really is flying solo, I mm. think, is um, stand-up. And so uh, even that, that gives me another level yeah. of... Uh, uh, you know, sort of total autocracy, you know. Is that where your your heart mainly lies these days? Well, it, it was after Humanity. I thought, I've been a fool. I remember 10 years ago, Jerry Seinfeld saying to me, why do you do movies and do, you're a stand-up, right? <laughs> he didn't get it, right? And now I sort of understand what he meant. And then Humanity, I think um, I think that was my best. It was my best for lots of reasons. I'd... Um, Seven years away, so absence makes the heart grow fonder. I approached it differently. I wandered out like a stand-up. I think my first sort of four tours, I sort of wrote like a writer, like an Edinburgh show or something, and then acted them out like a stand-up. Um, but humanity, I, I shambled out um, in jeans with a, with a can of Fosters, and I started talking to the audience, and, yeah. and, I, and yeah. it gets you to a sort of different place. And I really felt like um, um, that, was my, that was my best for those... 
for all those reasons. Um, it's also a privilege, mm. you know. It was, uh, it came at the right time, and I, t- I, you know, humanity was about freedom of speech and, mm. you, you know, mm. an offence yeah, yeah. culture of course, itself. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's um, what this is about as well. And uh, in many ways, it is in many ways. But now I've fallen back because I loved the experience of afterlife so much. <laughs> I'm a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dog, or a dog what's your favourite thing the thing I'm doing now it's my favourite thing you go to your dog and say you want to walk yeah yeah do you want to go home yeah that's my favourite thing do you want to go yes do you want a ball that's my favourite thing I'm like that really um, but I, 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 I enjoy the freedom I enjoy the freedom of creation it's an absolute privilege by the time I get to filming something it's easy mm. I've, I've done I've done the road work I've lived with that script for a year. I know the characters. I'm playing a character that comes from inside me. Mm. You know, when someone hands me a script and they say, do this, I go, what have I got? What, do need, do I, what have I got to cut my hair? I'm not cutting my hair. You know, <laughs> I'm stressed, you know. It's like the one exactly, absolute yeah. dictate. You do not <laughs> yeah, cut your hair. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. one touches this. Yeah. I, I mean, how is in makeup every day? I'm not doing it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, it's got, it's got to come from somewhere within me for me to be excited about it. I, yeah. I've popped up in movies. I've done things, you know, I've done those things and they're fun yeah. but um they're not they're not a piece of my soul yeah like they're not why you get up in the morning no yeah and and i, I think i could in my oeuvre uh, if i could list the things i've auteured that i'd say are mine and my fault honestly it would be half a dozen things and the other the other 20 things yeah. i've really enjoyed yeah, listen yeah. I've I've written an episode of The Simpsons. I've starred in The Simpsons. I've done a, a Muppets. They're they're great fun, but they're not mine. At the Golden Globes, they're not mine. Right? Whereas you know, The Office, Extras, Derek, Afterlife, a couple of movies, Flanimals, and mm. and Five Tours. They're mine. Mm. They're all mine. Everything is uh, you know. I did it. I I did it all. It's hard to explain really mm. um, why why you do things. Mm. Uh, I do these because. There's a, there's an adrenaline rush in me yeah, yeah, to yeah. do them. Whereas I do an advert for a house. <laughs> <laughs> it's the old Michael Caine quote. Yeah, well, I haven't seen yeah. Jaws Revenge, but I have seen the house I built in. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and there's different different reasons, you know. Yeah. And it is a business, and uh, um, I I I do I suppose I do exploit my brand now and again, but not very often actually. Mm. Yeah, I I I don't do press and podcasts and things that are for an advert I'm in mm. you know whereas <laughs> I talk about afterlife and supernatural <laughs> I'm proud of it I love nice it thing. I want people to be as excited about it as yeah. as me you know um so it, it's it's a clear it's a clear difference in my head if not yeah. you know I, I, I suppose people don't sit around caring what, why I'm doing things. They they judge it on its results as opposed to, well, I'm going to watch this because you put a lot of work into it. You know, It's like these people on X Factor. They go, oh, please let me through because I really want it. I go, well, why do I care? What's it got to do with me? <laughs> I wanted slightly more than that. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you should put me through. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Going back to the Jerry Seinfeld thing, do you think you say to him, it's easy for you to say that movies aren't important because all you've done is B movie? <laughs> yeah. Like if he had done like loads and loads of movies, you could maybe see. I think he know. meant. I think he meant <laughs> stand up is the holy grail yeah. of comedy. Yeah, yeah. Why do you want to pop up in movies? Why do you want to? Yeah. Why do you want the stress of them? Why do you want to just be a, a someone who puts on a rubber costume and run around and <laughs> and. And I sort of agree with him now because stand-up is the holy grail again, you know. Yeah. It's quite a remarkable place to be where you can play to a million people mm. around the world mm. and they've come to see what you say for an hour. I mean, that's incredible. It, it, it does feel like a, 
a real privilege. Mm. Uh, and it's exciting as well. You know, you can change it. The big difference, I suppose, with stand-up and acting is that so if you're a big actor and you, you you know you put on a rubber costume and run around in a film, when that rubber costume comes off, people don't really care who you are. I remember I remember a story. The Red Arrows turned up to a club once to try right. and get in free, and they were turned away. And I, I understood it because the oh, it's, it's your planes, really, mate. It's the planes we like. To be honest, you're, you're just eight posh blokes in in sweaters, you know. So I think that was I think with um. I think uh, uh, being a comedian, if you write and perform your own stuff, it, it's it's more like being a, a rock star because yeah. you're the people, at least people think, you're that same person when you step off the stage. Do, do, do you yeah, see yeah, what I'm no, saying? Yeah, An actor's me. told to stand and, you know, what to yeah. say. So because it's not as exciting. It's not, you know... Stand-up's more confessional. Uh, yeah, in, in a way. Even, even if it isn't necessarily, there's still that, that perception that it is, that you're bearing your soul up there. In some yeah, yeah. It's 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 you preaching your words yeah. as opposed to someone else's. So that that's that's, that's I suppose um, one difference. The other difference is w- when you write a, a film or a TV show, you you know you do your best and then you put it out there and that's it. It's done. There's nothing yeah. you can do about it. You can't you can't gauge the reaction. You can't change anything. Whereas stand up, it's more like evolution through natural selection. Yeah. After you've played to a few thousand people, it, it, you've got this perfect beast that works anywhere. Mm. So stand-up is less like an art form and more like a science because it either works or it doesn't. Yeah. And so that's another difference. Yeah. Uh, once it's there, it's there forever. It's, you know, it works everywhere. And you can change on the fly. And you can, t- yeah, you can, it, 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 it it's ever-evolving. Yeah. It's, it's improving and getting more and more perfect. Did Afterlife emerge from humanity in a way because as you said they have similar thematic preoccupations yeah well i've always everything i've done is 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 one you know at least semi autobiographical mm. uh, that you write about what you know it's mm. you know you are you are the sum of your inputs over uh, even things you don't realize you know it starts at year dot whether mm. you know it or not and everything i've done is also quite existential i don't ask because i'm an atheist and i know this is all we've got Everything I've done is about uh, the office was about becoming forty and had I are you are you doing the right thing? Derek was about um, getting close to death and you know what what have, what have we learned and uh, sort of being kind and um, uh, flannimals is about the futility of existence. I deconstruct, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. um, and so this is no different. This and supernature. So um, supernature, as I say, supernature for two reasons. One, I debunk the supernatural. I don't believe in anything supernatural. Um, I think that anything that exists is by definition part of nature mm-hmm. and is explainable, if not now, then in the future. So there's that edge. And also I say that, you know, nature is super enough. Mm. We don't need angels and unicorns. You know, <laughs> we've got the octopus, you know. <laughs> so it, and, and that, then obviously I go off and it's about human nature and how we've changed and what's yeah. important in life. And it's, it's about mortality in a funny way. This isn't yeah. a lecture. Yeah. It, you know, uh, it's still me being a... <laughs> A putts for money, and yeah, afterlife. I suppose, I don't know. It's it's about it's about our worst fears. You lose the love of your life. The, you're raised mm. on debt in a way. Mm. You know, you know. Tony is a man who just lived for being at home with Lisa, played by Kerry Godleyman, mm. and we show that an idyllic, an idyllic life. It was fun. They mucked around. They got drunk. They played. You mm. know, it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had no ambition other than getting home at six o'clock and having a bottle of wine, and um, and then that was all taken away from him. And now he needs a plan B, 
And his first thought is, well, I'm going to kill myself because I'd rather not be around without her. But the dog's hungry, so he feeds the dog. Mm. It gives him time enough to think, OK, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to punish the world. So he's going through the sort of second stage of grief, really. He's angry yeah. and he's wounded. Yeah. And he doesn't want anyone to come close to him and he wants to hurt people's feelings. Because mm. how dare, what happened here? And he hasn't, he, he doesn't believe in God. And, and um, he, he knows there's no afterlife. And as he says, you know, I'd rather be um, nowhere with her than somewhere without her. Yeah. And it's a ticking clock for his friends and family to try and save the nice guy they once knew. Mm. And he's different. Absolutely. And he's tried to change himself as well because he's, he's sort of tried to become a psychopath so, <laughs> so he wouldn't feel pain anymore. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Yeah. Because you can't. Yeah. You know, he's still got... He's burdened with conscience, you know, a conscience. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really the, the tonally of the of the show is really interesting as well because you could imagine a kind of weird, really broad, almost Rodney Dangerfield level where this guy where Tony yes. is going to go, hey, what did I say? Hey, don't of take course. offense. Yeah, but this is you know this is really somber. It's real, it's serious. It's real. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there are, there are laughs in it, but I would say it's it's a drama first and foremost. It's shot like a drama. Yeah, it is a comedy, but the comedy comes, I think, through the audience. Um, celebrating his candor mm. and we live vicariously through his his bravery and lack of you know yeah, inhibition yeah. and from his anger and from uh, hating the world that's funny you know yeah. a clown isn't funny because they're trying to make you laugh a man <laughs> who's angry with his life is funny because he doesn't want to be laughed at he's angry and yes I suppose what I've been I haven't been watching comedy for two years I've been mm. watching Scandi Noir <laughs> you know, serial killer dramas. From <laughs> so it sort of it does. It's paced like a yeah a, a drama. It's yeah, paced it really like a, a long yeah. movie. I guess yeah. it's it's the most serialized thing I've done. Yeah. You can't watch it out of order. No. It is one long story of a man in freefall. It's got the beats of a two and a half, a half hour movie. You know, mm -hmm. or a a novelization. Mm -hmm. I think that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Without actually bothering writing the novel because that's way too hard. A <laughs> hundred thousand words. Forget it. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go straight to the TV series. Oh, and you do a thousand a day. That's just yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's fine. I know. Totally fine. Even the screenplays in notes for my <laughs> directing. So yeah. Um, so yeah, it feels. But it is funny. You do yeah. laugh. Yeah. You do. You do yeah. laugh. And 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 it's and there's lovely moments. There's yeah. You know, and the cast are amazing. Oh, my you God. Know, Penelope Wilton is incredible. David Bradley plays yeah. my father who's, who's uh, suffering from Alzheimer's. And uh, yeah. Ashley Jensen is the nurse. Yeah. Um, as I say, Kerry Goddard like, as well. There's like a small cadre of kind of Ricky Gervais all-stars. that are, And then there's new people as well. It's the, um, yeah, it's the greatest hits of all the <laughs> people I've ever cast. It's sometimes in their first thing. And people I've admired from afar, like Penelope Wilton, my, one of my favourite, I think the, the most underrated British comedy of all time is ever decreasing circles. Yeah, that's great. I say that, and it probably got fifteen million. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, it um, was huge. I remember it being huge. Yeah, uh, but it's it's amazing, and yeah. uh, they use pathos beautifully. Yeah. Um, uh, and she's she's incredible in every scene. Yeah, um, she's tremendous, and she sort of helps save me. Really, yeah. no spoilers, um, Ricky. No spoilers. You know. Oh uh, no, no, no. I know, no. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I think people probably know I don't kill myself in the first episode. <laughs> Otherwise. <laughs> but there's there's a threat there, isn't it? You but it's so funny as well. When you sort of tweet the title and then a slight synopsis and a photo, people start guessing on Twitter. They go, oh no, it's not set in heaven, is it? No. I, oh, does he come back as a dog? 
As if I come back as a dog. I mean, mean, have you you seen my work? (laughs) (laughs) What is it? What do you think this is? Uh, You're you're onto something here. It could be a ghost town too. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I know. That's not mine though. I know it wasn't yours. That's half mine. Yeah, yeah. The show was set, you know, Tony works for a small local newspaper. I started off working for a small local newspaper, so it brought back lots of interesting memories. (laughs) Yeah. There's there's a moment where uh, Tony says that everyone should be in their local paper at least once. Yeah. And were you in your local paper growing up? I think I was for being in the choir once. Um, <laughs> I think I think that was it. Yeah. Yes, it is a local it's a local free paper. Uh, again, um I'm I'm sort of uh slightly taking the mick a little bit, but yeah. in an affectionate way because I love a no- local newspaper. Uh, wherever I am, I get the local newspaper and I want to see what the front cover story is. Because if it's, you know, um, overdue library book, yep. you know that's probably a safe place. Yep. You get a London local paper it's nine stabbings last night, you know. <laughs> so, so so, I like the local newspaper. And, you know, yeah, Tony says, um, you know, it's, it's not for reading, it's for being in. Yeah. And that's and I think that's really it's really sweet and but uh, uh, you know um, when he's is in his you know the deepest uh, depression mm. um, it's a chore you know doing these banal stories they they eat him up from the inside he just wants to go home and get drunk yeah um, so uh, it's it's about what it's about how can you enjoy life if you're not happy in your own head. Yeah. Doesn't matter what's happening in the world. It could be the best of times. The sun can be out, right? Yeah. But if you're not happy in your head, you, yeah. you're in a dark place. Absolutely. And um, uh, likewise, if you're happy, nothing phases you. If you're happy, if you've got a happy home life and you're happy, nothing phases you. Nothing matters. Mm. So it's sort of about that, really. Mm. And we touch on those issues and what you do to survive. What mm. you do to survive, you know, pain and grief and depression and. Uh, again, it, th- this sounds like the, the the most depressing series ever, <laughs> but it's really funny. No, it's it's a lovely show as well. It's, it's a lovely really show, and there's a dog in it. It's a great dog. Everyone great loves dog. a dog. Everyone loves a dog. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Ricky, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much indeed. Cheers. Cheers, man. Thank you. All right, that was Ricky Chavez and Afterlife. I, I liked Afterlife, and obviously this isn't the pilot TV podcast, Jimbo. And I know you shouldn't be out of your comfort zone talking about TV on a film podcast, or is it the other way around? But I liked this show. Yes, so did I. Yeah. Uh, Ricky wanted everyone to watch all six episodes before reviewing it. Uh, Boyd informs me. Boyd is one of, or I should say Ricky is one of Boyd's celebrity friends. Perhaps Boyd is one of Ricky's celebrity friends. It's hard to say. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he said, so so to understand the arc, and I think you fill in a lot more of his backstory as the show goes on, because he comes across as a raging bellend in the first one, because of course that is what he's chosen to be. Yeah, well, it's completely not the show I thought it was going to be. No, me neither. Which we discussed with. Good stuff, though. It's very good stuff. It is good stuff, Mm. and great dog. Uh, I promise you there's a great dog in it. Yeah, there's also an excellent scene with a small ginger boy, which made me guffaw aloud. I can imagine that it did. There are laughs in it, but it's it's a more uh, moving show than I expected. So there you go. Afterlife is now on Netflix, all six episodes. But it's time now for some lovely movie news. I woke up this morning to a bit of a bombshell. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. (gasps) What was that? It was rumoured last week that Will Smith is out of The Suicide Squad, which is the sequel to Suicide Squad, which will be written and directed by James Gunn, Mm -hmm. Uh, in lieu of Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, of course. I know. Be strong, Chris. I still do feel it's it's an act of brinkmanship that he's going to get up to the point where he's shooting and Marvel are like, yeah, 
and he's waiting for the offer from Marvel and come back, come back, it'll be fine, come and direct Guardians 3 and he'll be like five weeks into the Suicide Squad and he'll be going like this. So I guess I'm doing it then. I guess, I guess I'm making this movie. Uh, but we're excited about it, <laughs> despite that. And Idris Elba That's right. has yeah. joined the cast, which is one big reason to be excited about the Suicide Squad and he is going to replace Will Smith as Deadshot. Yes. Exciting. This is exciting, actually. This is the first thing that's made me actually think I might want to watch this film. Apart from um, James Gunn's involvement, because genuinely... That is true. That is true. Legitimately, I am excited about that, because he knows what he's doing. Not to say that David Ayer doesn't, because David Ayer has made some good films he as has. well, but he's also made some... Suicide less, Squad. Less good, and that dreadful one with Arnold. Sabotage. Mm. Yeah, not yeah. good. Anyway. Yeah, Big Driss. Big Driss as, uh, as Will Smith. I'm aboard for that. Yeah. And uh, there was some speculation that the, the part might not be in that the character might not be in the movie but clearly they've decided that yeah. Deadshot is too important to the Suicide Squad my, my knowledge of the Suicide Squad characters in DC lore is quite slim mm. so I don't know how integral he is to these things. I mean I think in the first film he was somewhat the conscience almost yeah. of the gang. I mean yeah. he was still you know a, twat. a bad guy but you know he had that very much more sympathetic story about basically trying to get back to his daughter yeah. trying to sort of regain some kind of life as a father and that's a lot more sympathetic than the motivation of literally anyone else <laughs> in the film. So I think that's probably why they want to yeah. keep him in there. I think you'd have needed to have replaced him with another character that you could latch onto if yeah, they didn't have yeah. him. So, you know, fair play for that. We've got some other gun developments this week. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So the, the trailer to James Gunn's Brightburn dropped True. this week as well, which was an interesting one. This is one that's fascinated me for ages because I just love the logline for this, like the, the elevator pitch, which is like, imagine Superman if he was evil. Yeah. Like, that's a great setup for a film, isn't it? Superman comes down and he's just evil. Not like Red Sun, he's a little bit, you know, politically problematic. It's, <laughs> he's <laughs> full on evil. And that's a really good idea. I was a little underwhelmed by the trailer, though. It felt a little conventional to me. It's very conventional, as, uh, but then it's a trailer. It's meant it is, to, it know, is a trailer. Film. I did think it was quite scary. Um, I thought it was effective that way. And um, my only worry about, really, that trailer is that it gives away a whole lot everything. of Everything. Yeah. Major, like, so major, everything. Major deaths, all yeah. sorts of stuff. It's not, yeah. it's not, I don't like trailers like that at all. And uh, I'm curious where they go with this film. Like, it, it feels like, where's their, I mean, presumably there's some kind of kryptonite-type substance or something's going to happen. Mm. But I'm, yeah, I, I'm curious. I mean, in fairness, Red Sun Superman is actually more or less a good guy. Yeah, yeah. no, I know. He's I was being facetious. He's just communist. Yeah. Yes, he's Russian. Russian I love superhero. that. I love that. Uh, I absolutely I love, love that Sun. book. It's yeah. fantastic. Really, really great stuff. Yeah, this looks promising, but uh, actually surprises me that no one's really made this twist on it before. Mm, me too. I guess you could look at this as a sort of, you know, retelling of the omens as well, <laughs> in a weird way. If he had heat vision. Yeah. Well, of course, we, we could potentially have two sort of twisted superhero stories this year if New Mutants ever comes out. <laughs> so let's all hold our breath for that Never one. Never going to happen. If it ever comes out. Always uh, strikes me as uh, quite funny that Richard Donner made the omen and then followed it up with Superman the movie, both of which involve how should we say, talented children being sent to Earth by their fathers for very different reasons. <laughs> well, no, both are sent here to shape humanity's uh, path. Yeah, this is true. Um, mm-hmm. Lead the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's all for you, kal <laughs> <laughs> All right, what else has been happening in the world of movies this week? Um, a qu- quick story. Uh, the Maleficent sequel, which is now subtitled Mistress of Evil, um, has moved forward seven months, which is a bit of a vote of confidence. I mean, given that we 
Am what? I the only one who had no idea there was a Maleficent sequel coming? I mean, oh, we, you we, might be, we, I think. Weren't you ones? We were all on set. We had a big old, we had <laughs> we a big had a old party. party. Yeah. Everyone was like, oh, the Maleficent. And I'm like, the what? I just didn't know this was a yeah, thing. Yeah, it shot last summer. It was due out May 2020. It's apparently now arriving October of this year. Exact detail not yet confirmed. So, I mean, I have no idea how she's going to be misunderstood again in her... <laughs> attempts to be good and somehow end up super evil but apparently that's the thing that's going to happen interesting um i think i know why will smith's not doing the suicide squad was that by the way uh well he's very busy right for one thing but two he signed on to star in a movie although it's in the very early stages mm. called king richard now this movie is about richard williams who is the father of Venus and Serena Williams, basically two of the greatest tennis players of all time. And in the case of Serena, there's a really good argument that she is the GOAT. Yes. Uh, G-O-A-T. 23 slams so far. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, there has been a little bit of controversy about this one. I mean, first of all, you know, Will Smith, obviously, terrific actor. We love him. And I think this could be a really, really interesting story because he's a very interesting guy and not mm. without controversy in his past either. Mm-hmm. But there has been a bit of controversy over the colorism of this casting because Will Smith is considerably lighter skinned than Richard Williams. And there's been a sort of push for maybe someone darker skinned, basically. So people were suggesting Don Cheadle or Idris Elba, who obviously is otherwise engaged right now. Um, Being Will Smith. I have um, not, I had not seen that. I'll be honest. Uh, the the controversy I'd seen was people asking why is this not a Venus and Serena movie? Uh, why is it focusing on their dad? And I guess this doesn't preclude anyone from making a Venus and Serena movie. And you can absolutely and uh, one about when they're in their pomp, mm-hmm. which would be fantastic. But at the same time, you look back at the story of Richard Williams, and it's an interesting story, and there is something there. And you can see why someone like Will Smith would attach himself to this. doesn't have a director yet, but with Will Smith attached, it will get made sooner rather than later. Because Richard Williams, basically, from a very early age, you know, they grew up in Compton in Los Angeles. Not exactly the sort of background that you'd imagine tennis players to come from. Tennis is a very white sport. It's a very middle class, even upper middle class sport. It's a sport for rich people. It's a sport for people who can afford to go to tennis clubs, afford all the paraphernalia that comes with that. It's more than just a racket, by the way. And... It was an exclusionary sport as mm. well, I would say. And he, along with his daughters, he basically shattered the glass ceiling of tennis and decided from a very early age that his daughters were going to become tennis superstars. Drew up a 78-page plan to make that happen. Trained and worked hard and lobbied and did all sorts of stuff and battered down the doors that had previously excluded the majority of black players. There have been black players in tennis before, Arthur Ashe Arthur being one of them. And... Um, yeah, it's a really interesting story. Fascinating one. So I'll be excited to see where this one goes. Mm, me too. I think I think it could be really interesting. And I also hope we get the Venus and Serena film that we yes. clearly also need. Darn um, tootin'. In we- the meantime, I would re- highly recommend following Serena Williams on Instagram, things like that, because she's brilliant and fascinating. <laughs> I feel like I've seen Wimbledon. I'm done. Okay, that's like the worst tennis movie. But I watched it again recently. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's very likeable, but it's not, you know, good. Yeah, it's as yeah. good as tennis gets for me, I've got to be honest. Oh my God, you sort of understand. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> hey, you remember when we were speaking a minute ago about sequels that we didn't know were happening? Um, Sherlock Holmes 3 is still a thing that's happening. It's moved back to now December 2021 with Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law due to reunite. Uh, Guy Ritchie's name hasn't been on press releases for this one. We don't want to okay. know if he's directing. But if it's moved back that far, he'll be well clear of Aladdin by then. So it's potentially possible. We'll all be well clear of Aladdin by then. <laughs> huh. Well, we knew this was coming, Helen, because uh, a sequel was never impossible. And of course, as you know, oh. when you eliminate the impossible, <laughs> whatever remains, however improbable, improbable, must be the truth. 
That is that's, a thing. Yeah. That's elementary, James. <laughs> <laughs> really is I, I, I you know it's going to be 10 years after after the last movie and you might wonder if the iron has grown slightly cold in that time having said that I really like the two movies that they made together uh, the, the Richie Law and uh, Downey trio so I'm excited about them returning to it I think it could be it could be fun if it ever gets made yeah <laughs> yeah and so uh, I don't know. I'm just a little bit sceptical about that, but we shall see. I mean, they're they're both very in-demand actors, and he's a very busy director, so we'll yeah. have to see And obviously, he's going to have all his MCU commitments as well, Downey, after after Endgame. He's going to be... So many MCU commitments. His dance card's going to be well And of course, Jude Law also in the MCU now, so could That's have true. any number of... That is true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so Ghostbusters 3 news is beginning to filter in, yeah. and we have the first bit of casting for this. And it is interesting because Carrie Coon, the great Carrie Coon, has been cast as a single mum who we are told has a connection of some sorts to the original characters. So you're guessing... Wait, wait, wait. So the first piece of casting announced for this film is a woman? A woman. I am appalled. A woman. This is political correctness gone mad. I intend to boycott this identity politics SJW nonsense. Yeah, she's not even a real Ghostbuster. <laughs> it is possible some kind of very subtle reference is being made to the current outcry over Captain Marvel. And indeed the last one over Ghostbusters. Yes. But um, yeah, cool. I mean, she's great. Yeah. I can't wait. She's fantastic. Uh, so we, I, I'm guessing that she's a daughter of an original Ghostbuster. That would make sense. Sure, yeah. Time-wise, Peter Finkman's daughter. Peter Finkman seems like someone who might have been sowing some wild oats from time to time. What? So, He's I don't know. such a shy and retiring guy. I don't, I don't mm, know what I mean. Yes, he is, isn't he? Not a total sleazebag <laughs> when you go back and look at those movies. Uh-oh. Uh, but anyway, so Carrie Coon is going to play a single mum who somehow gets caught up in ghost busting and her son in the movie is going to be played by Finn Wolfhard, he of Stranger Things and It fame and also the best name in showbiz. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair on all three counts. Yes. Yeah. So, early days yet, but I'm wondering if maybe they are living away somewhere. Maybe they are the owners of Ecto-1, which we saw in that little teaser that Jason Reitman put up on the on the Twitters early in the uh, process. That was so, sort of in a barn or something, in a barn it? somewhere, yeah. yeah. So maybe this is a world in which the Ghostbusters kind of no longer operate, but the, the stuff's still around. And maybe something happens, and maybe she has to get back on the horse. And blah, 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 blah. Wow. Could all work out. Yep, could all work out. So that's going to be out next year. Exciting stuff indeed. Yeah. Anything else? There was a trailer this week for Good Omens um, TV show, mm-hmm. uh, which is one that I'm particularly excited about. It's. It, I think it's one of these ones where it's a little bit hard to sum up the tone of the show maybe in a trailer. There's a lot going on. Angels, demons, end of the world, antichrist, everything else. <laughs> there are some odd wig decisions with uh, David Tennant. Um <laughs> But I'm still I'm still super optimistic and super excited about this. I think they've got an incredible cast, a, r- a ridiculous embarrassment of riches. Um, you, you don't see all of them in the trailer, actually, but you see, you know, Michael Sheen, David Tennant, and uh, John Hamm in particular. But you've got Francis McDormand voicing God, Benedict Cumberbatch as the Devil. Uh, you've got Nick Offerman in there, Jack Whitehall, um, Michael McKean, Miranda Richardson. It's it's a good it's a good bunch of people. So fingers crossed for this. Yeah. I need to revisit the book because I remember loving the book. Oh, the book is just great. I need to go back and take a look at that and refresh my memory because I remember very little about it. I read it so long ago. But uh, yeah, this looks like fun. And uh, I realise this isn't the Pilot TV podcast. Well, this is why I'm mm-hmm. withholding hey, do you my guys, opinion. Um, do you guys mention the Empire podcast on the Pilot TV podcast? Yes. 
Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. I mean, obviously, I know that because I listen to it religiously. Yes, you do. So that's good. That's good. That's In fact, we we had a obviously we had an Empire pilot crossover last week well, when we did. we did the Alan Partridge special. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. And Boyd was Boyd was here. He was very good, by the way. Yeah, 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 much yeah. better than you would have been. Oh, of course. <laughs> but, um, He's TV's uh, Boyd Hilton. He is TV's Boyd Hilton. Uh, so what was I going to say? I forgot what I was going to say. Oh yes, Game of Thrones. Game Season eight. of Thrones. Yes. Trailer. Trailer. Trailer for Game of Thrones. Now, I will start this by saying I haven't seen it, but I presume <laughs> you have. You haven't seen the series or the trailer. I've this seen is what you're saying. Three episodes oh of the God. show, but I haven't seen the trailer. But I understand that uh, uh, Willy Wangle is back in it and he uh, survived the collapse of the Great Wall. Is this true? More or less. Willy Wangle. Willy Wangle. Yeah. Which one's Willy Wangle? The Lord of Windfell. Him. Anyway, I, it looks, I thought it looked good. I'm excited. Wee! Yeah. Yes. Dragons. Take, take us through this uh, trailer, James, for people who in this what non-visual medium... In the trailer, oh, no, you're, you're assuming my powers of recall are up to this, but there are dragons in it. We see... Armies uh, on the move. Yeah, we see armies on the move. We see Jamie Lannister obviously having sort of turned coat from Cersei and gone up to the north to fight for the living, as he Squee. says. Squee, indeed. <laughs> uh, but see, the most... Cersei looking really worried, which is... Unusual. Also looking like a boss. Her costume yeah, oh, design yeah. is incredible. It's gorgeous. But the 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 exciting <laughs> shot in this trailer, like the best shot, it says a bit towards the end, where you see uh Daenerys and John walking towards Drogon and Rhaegal, the two no, dragons. Not yeah, Drogon and, and Rhaegal. And, and yeah, oh yeah, because oh, I can yeah. identify them by name. And clearly she's gonna ride Drogon, he's gonna ride Rhaegal, they're gonna be dragons aloft no. and fighting yeah, and yeah. stuff, oh and it's gonna God, be no. amazing. So good. Yeah. And also, um, Maisie Williams, Arya, looking terrified. Yes. And it takes a lot to terrify her. Shut the fucking door. Front door. Shut the door. It's hard to imagine what she could be scared of with the army of undead creatures and undead dragons coming towards her. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah. Like she's running through corridors. It's like there's something specific there. You also see, I think, I'm right in saying the gold company, the mercenary company, Mm. seemed like. So there's a bit of a wrinkle there, a bit of a new, you know. Yeah, we see the the Iron Fleet at sea. We do. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on, Chris. A lot going on. You I, love a bit of Iron Fleet, don't you? I am hugely excited about the, uh, the Iron Fleet, and I wonder if, if Bob and Stairmaster will at long last return as the rightful head of the Iron Fleet. This strikes me as some kind of really obscure, random reference that I don't understand. No, I'm just making up names. Oh, fine. <laughs> um, this is coming soon, and this is monstrously exciting. Uh, I haven't been this excited about a TV show in, well, a very long time. So. Mm. Um, Speaking of ridiculous made-up names, can we talk about Morbius the Living Vampire for a second? (laughs) Um, So we already knew that Jared Leto would be starring as Michael Morbius, but Jared Harris uh, has now joined the cast as well. All the Jareds. So many Jareds. Jinx. I don't know how many other Jareds there are for Hollywood to cast, but I look forward to them also joining this one. Absolutely. Jared, Jared Padalecki. Jared Padalecki. Yes, he might get his nipples out. It might become R-rated immediately. Brilliant. That'd be incredible, wouldn't it? Um, um, so yes. Barbara Broccoli pissed all over Shatterhand. Not literally, of course. <laughs> but uh, she has more or less debunked the fact that that will be the final title. Thank God. Yeah. Yes. Uh, not, did we ever really think... We, actually, we didn't talk about film? this. So we, did, we, we didn't discuss this at any point in the podcast. So in case people don't know what this is, the rumour was that Bond 25 was going to be called Shatterhand. We talked about Rami Malek mm. being potentially the bad guy yeah. on last week's show, but we forgot to mention that it might be called Shatterhand, which is an in Fleming name. Sure. Comes from yeah. Fleming, comes from the canon, but is, I would say, it's a not for a Blofeld, great title. It? Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a, an alias for Blofeld, and that has led people to speculate and to surmise that maybe Christoph Waltz would be back again as Blofeld. Which, I mean, by as, pop- as Kubica's fans demanded. <laughs> yeah. yeah, popular demand there, wow. <laughs> 
Least of all, Christoph Waltz <laughs> jumping at the bit, I'm sure, to, to go back to that one. But yeah, Shatterhand doesn't look like it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, it always seemed like more of a production title to me than, a, than yeah. an actual name. But then, you know, they called a film Quantum of Solace. What the fuck do we I know? I know, this is true. So. There's always that little bit of doubt. <laughs> the Hildebrandt rarity, I believe, is another one that they haven't quite <laughs> this, used yet. It feels like there's got to be some kind of Bond film title generator somewhere on the internet. Yeah. You make, only make die 16 times. <laughs> quantum finger. Quantum Never finger. say quantum again. Oh, my God. That's exciting. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens with Bond 25. And, uh, Jimbo, I'm amazed you haven't talked about Picard yet because two cast members joined the <gasps> Picard TV show this Hoo-hoo. week. Go on, then. Uh, do you not know this Roll yet? them out. No, I haven't. I haven't wow, seen. okay. Wow. I'm breaking news. I'm like a one-man Woodward and Bernstein. Yeah, it's almost as if I hadn't actually bothered to look at the news this morning. Almost. Can I just say, we're recording this at 9.30 on Thursday morning yeah. because our schedules... We just couldn't basically record the regular podcast at a regular time. and Because uh, I'm going to see Ian McKellen this afternoon. Whee! Yes, indeed you are, my young buttercup. <laughs> I've seen that one man show it's amazing I'm looking forward to it he quotes Coronation Street and Gandalf oh the dream it's everything you dreamt of and more <laughs> um, what's it talking about Picard. Picard yes Picard uh, because Ian McKellen's old mucker Patrick Stewart is going to play Jean-Luc Picard once again yes. in a TV show Santiago Cabrera has joined the cast and he's going to be a pilot of Picard's new ship whatever that is pretty sure it's not the Enterprise no. and he also handily doubles as a skillful thief whilst Michelle Hurd will play an intelligence officer who has an incredible memory but also serious issues with drug and alcohol abuse so I'm saying right off the bat that this is not your father's Picard this it feels is... like Shane Meadows does Star Trek <laughs> I don't know quite what's happening here <laughs> It does a little bit, doesn't it? It feels like this one's going to be a little bit more warts and all mm. than the uh, next generation, which was basically some sort of futuristic utopia. Yes. Yes. And everyone was great. Yes. And I the men wore dresses. That. And very few people had flaws on the Enterprise. And here it's going to be big old flaws. Yeah. No, I'm I, as anyone who will have listened to the other podcast will know, I bang on about this fairly regularly. In fact, I will be revealing this news on the next uh, episode as if I had just discovered it. So look forward to that. Um, no, I'm I'm monstrously excited about this. This guy was Aramis in the Three Musketeers TV show. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll sign off on this. All right. It yeah. was the Three Musketeers TV show. Yeah, there was. Yeah, it was uh, on the BBC. I mean, it made no sense in terms of its decor. I mean, they had clearly <laughs> Louis the Fourteenth influenced uh, buildings in the background of a Louis the oh Thirteenth set show. I mean, come on. But um, but otherwise, it was fun. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jonathan Frakes is going to direct, uh, I think, one or two episodes of this show as well. And I I'd love to see some of the old next-gen cast mm. rock up in this one. Oh, that'd be awesome. Interstellar sex pest Will Riker. Yeah, we should have him back. <laughs> Times have changed. I'm sure he's stopped being a pest. You now. think? <laughs> okay. We shall see. Uh, two other really quick bits of news. So Guillermo del Toro seems to have chosen his next live-action directorial project and his first since winning the Oscar for The Shape of Water, James's favourite film of last year. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be an action movie called San Bato, Produced for J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot, and it's about a young woman with superior fighting skills, and that's all we know at this point in time. And mm. there's every chance you know what Guillermo's like. He loads his dance card up and then shuffles it around a bit and just seems to pick them at random. So maybe this might not be his next film. He's directing Pinocchio as well for Netflix, so we shall see what happens. And Lee Whannell, uh, his Invisible Man movie, is moving ahead fast, and Elizabeth Moss is in talks to appear or potentially disappear in that film. Uh, as well. Not sure whether she would be the Invisible Man of the title or whether it's even going to be called the Invisible Man. It might be called the Invisible Woman. The Invisible Person. Invisible Person, in which case Fantastic Four's lawyers would get very interested. (laughs) 
please cease and desist. And but uh, that's good casting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, really good casting. So keep an eye on that one. And we have some very very sad news, of course, to wrap up the news section. And it is the sad death of Luke Perry. Yeah, at only fifty-two years yeah. old, yeah. which is which is incredibly young. He'd had a stroke last week, so uh, he he was surrounded by family uh, when he died uh, this week. But it was a real blow because for an entire generation of you know man fancying persons, he was just a god in the nineties. Uh, as as Dylan in nine hundred two one zero, he was he was not just the sex symbol. He was also a secretly really nice guy and uh, a very caring person and. And so he was just catnip to to everyone. So, you know, I think he he struggled a little to kind of escape from that image and that show. But he was really back on track, actually. Recently, you know, he'd been doing brilliant work in in, uh, Riverdale Mm -hmm. on TV, um, which had the brilliant idea of, of, you know, hiring all these former teen stars to be the parents of its teen (laughs) stars. Um, But it was just a kind of reminder of how good he was and how much we liked him in the first place. The tributes poured in this week, and I have to say just every single one that I saw had a different story of how kind he was and what a good person he was and just what a you know likable and mm. humble guy um, so I mean I think that's a greater testament to him than really anything else mm. but yeah he'll be he'll be sadly missed and what, what a young age to go mm. 52 my god yeah no the, the one that uh, springs to mind is the Colin Hanks story do you see that yes. one about <laughs> how they were on a flight together and Colin Hanks was in coach which I think also is a very Colin Hanks thing it's very you know he seems to be a very nice guy who would fly coach when he could as we all know fly first class if he wanted to because mm-hmm. um, he's Colin bloody Hanks and uh, there was some kid making a, a racket in economy and everyone was at the end of their tether and uh, suddenly this man emerged in a hat and sunglasses from first class holding up a balloon and sort of proffered it to the kid and sort of prostrated himself before him like a knight and the kid took the balloon and just shut up and that did the trick and he walked back into first class and it was Luke Perry so apparently he told Colin Hanks that he carried balloons with him wherever he went in case it was a screaming child <laughs> well it's something like like as a as a father himself he'd find this was quite a effective yeah you know task. Yeah. so yeah absolutely uh luke perry who died this week at the age of 52 time now for our second guest this week and he is an absolute ruddy legend almost one of those people who needs no introduction but that's given an introduction anyway he's uh, one of our favorite actors he is one of the coolest men in movies he is, of course, Nicholas J. Fury himself, Samuel L. Jackson, who makes another appearance as Nick Fury, but a different kind of Nick Fury, a younger Nick Fury, a more idealistic Nick Fury. Mm. In, One with stereo vision. <laughs> with stereo vision in this week's Captain Marvel. And uh, I went along to speak to him earlier on this week in a London hotel room. And I will say that I started off with a factual error. Uh, oh. which he himself picked me up on and I realised the minute I said it that I was forgetting someone so I was like oh yeah welcome to the Empire Podcast a man who's been in more MCU films than anybody bar Stan Lee Samuel L. Jackson he goes really? And I went yeah I looked it up and then I went oh hang on there's Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> so I've forgotten about Iron Man Ah, but, but you, you don't really like Iron Man you're so lukewarm on him I am so. as you know I'm Team Cap <laughs> Until, of course, Cap does a terrible thing in Civil War and then I'm Team Tony all the way. But technically speaking, I'm right. But also, in a very real way, I'm wrong. So <laughs> if you look at it as Sam Jackson has been in nine MCU films up to now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he was in. I've got a list here. I've got a list. Hang Iron on. Man. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Okay. Okay. You got it. Okay. Helen. You actually, you can okay, go, Helen. Go. See if oh, you can God, get them all no. right. Iron Man. Iron Man 2. Yes. Uh... 
Avengers. No, go as Captain America the First Avenger. Captain America First Avenger. Avengers Assemble. Yes. Uh, I don't remember him in Iron Man 3. That's because he wasn't in Good. Iron Man 3. And then um, Thor 2, I don't remember. No. No, he wasn't. And uh, Cap 2, he definitely was. Cap 2, yes. yes. And um, Guardians, he wouldn't have been. No. Um, uh, Age of Ultron. Yes. yes. Okay, good. And uh, <laughs> where, are we only at six? six? We're up at six. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> uh, da, 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 this is really fascinating listening for anybody this is out good there. Stuff. Isn't it? Wow. People love quizzes. Shall I help you? Shall I put your yeah, misery? Ahead, ahead. All right. So he's in the post-credit scene at the end of Thor. So that's seven. He's in uh, the post-credit scene at the end of Avengers: Infinity War. That's eight. Captain oh, yeah. Marvel makes it nine. All and right. Spider-Man: Homecoming. Spider-Man: Far From Home will make it ten. Okay. So here's the thing: Downey, three Iron Man movies. Three Avengers movies thus far. Captain America Civil War is seven. Spider-Man Homecoming makes it eight for Downey. Mm-hmm. But, motherfucker, he was in that brief scene at the end of Incredible Hulk that makes it nine. So they're tied on nine each. Now I'm saying Sam Jackson's going to be in Avengers Endgame. That will put him over the top. That will give him one more than Robert Downey Jr. So therefore, we've come full circle. I was right! Wait, are you including Endgame for Downey Jr.? Yes. So that's 10 for Downey Jr. And it'll be 11 for Sam Jackson by the time Far From Home comes out. So therefore, I'm right. You're wrong. Suck it. Here's me talking (laughs) to Sam Jackson. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by the star of Captain Marvel and the man who's been in more MCU movies, bar anyone but Stan Lee, Samuel L. Jackson. How are you, sir? Fine. Is that true? That is true, yeah. Okay. I made sure. <laughs> I double-checked. I'm sure you did. Uh, this one, you're exploring young Nick Fury. What was that like? And when did you know that this was going to happen with Captain Marvel? Did you get a call from Marvel basically saying, we, we need you? I, I, I think I had that conversation during the summer. Uh-huh. And um, I talked to Bree, and she told me she was doing the movie, and she was like, they say that it's going to be me and you. It's kind of like a two-hander, so hopefully <laughs> so, that'll be true. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Let's see what happens then. That was pretty much the the way it happened. So you hear secondhand from from Bree, <laughs> first of all. Anyway. It's kind of firsthand, you know. Yeah. If I hear from Captain Marvel, it's kind of okay. <laughs> That's a very very good point. It's been a couple of years, I guess, since you really got a chance to dig into Nick Fury, and this movie's fascinating because this is essentially, obviously, it's a Captain Marvel origin story as well, but it's very much a Nick Fury origin story as well. No, I think it is. We Why get do you to, think that? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole half of his life that you don't even get to explore. You hear him talk about it. He yep. said, I was in the army. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 made full bird colonel. Okay. And then, then I was a spy. So you think there's more to, there's more to explore going back? Apparently. Back all the way? Apparently there that is. That would be fun. That yeah. would be fun. But yeah. in this one, we get to learn a little bit more about you him. You find get, him you know, in a Cold War sitting at a desk somewhere. Being yeah. A desk jockey. Yeah. You know, until he gets something interesting happens and he goes, oh, let's go out in the field and see what this is. And, you know. Got a woman standing there talking about she's an alien. (laughs) But you look like us and you talk like us, so why do you think that? So is this something that you've been wanting to explore for a while? No, it's not. It just happened to come up. And I said, okay, if that's what we're doing, then I'll do it. Great to kind of dig around in different aspects of people's personalities to see Mm -hmm. how they became who they became. Uh, And this is like one of those things of uh, Nick's discovery that we're not alone. Mm. It's like, okay, once... He accepts the fact that, okay, they're aliens and, you know, she might be his first extraterrestrial. Uh, And then she takes him out there and he sees all these things. It's kind of like, okay, so I'm sure the people above me knew about this and didn't tell me about this, which is, you know, probably the beginning of his paranoia and 
you know, distrust of those people and uh, him trying to figure out, you know, his threat assessment for that and what he needs to do to to prevent those guys from coming down and taking over. But this is a looser, goosier version of Nick Fury, I'd say, than we've seen before. The Whatever happened in the intervening years between the end of this movie and, you know, your first appearance in Iron Man, mm-hmm. something happens to make him a little bit more paranoid about the state of the world. Yeah. Uh, in this one, you know, there's, there's one-liners galore. You even get to sing it happens sometimes you know yeah uh i've uh-huh. sung in movies before sometimes successfully sometimes not so much <laughs> how'd you write your efforts this time this is a short you know burst of song so, works but the movie is set in 1995 mm. did that bring back any memories for you particularly because 1995 i look at you know Pulp Fiction had come out the year beforehand. Mm. Die Hard with a Vengeance was just about to come out, I think, right. just after this movie set. Right. That must have been a time for you when you were thinking, when things were changing for you. Well, things were changing, um, interestingly enough. So when I think about the 90s, I I just think about, you know, pursuing and trying to build that body of work and uh, seeking longevity, you know. Yeah. What do I have to do next? Or trying to plot a plan of do this kind of movie, do that kind of movie, read this, read that. Uh, and as things came across, you know, still trying to find things that were interesting to me that I liked that I would go and see if I was, you know, a moviegoer and not just something, you know, to 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 try and generate money. I was just mm. trying to trying to do things. I was I had an opportunity to try and shape what I was going to do at that particular time. Back then as well, you were coming off the Oscar nomination for Pulp Fiction yeah. as well. Did that change things for you? I mean, that, that was that the movie. Is that kind of like, like the lodestone in, the, in a way that you look back at? And that, that... Well, that's that. I mean, Jungle Fever got me into Hollywood. Yeah, um, that was the. First thing that got me noticed by, you know, whoever it was, producers or powers that be, that said, who is this guy? Let's give him a chance to be something. And uh, Jungle Fever got me in. Pulp Fiction kind of opened another door. Uh, or as Bruce said, you know, Die Hard kind of changed my life, being the highest grossing film that year, so it made me an international figure. Mm. So, you know, things, things, things happen in drips and drabs. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was able to, read three scripts and choose one or read five and do one and they hold the other one until you were free. So <laughs> it was kind of cool. Uh, after years of going the other way, I guess. I yeah, guess well, of, going to auditions. Yeah. yeah. The audition process seems to be something that a lot of actors find quite difficult. Uh, there's quite a, a fear factor about it. But yeah. I'm judging by your expression, Sam, that you don't agree with that. Is that, is that fair to say? There's no fear. I mean, going to auditions was just another opportunity to act to me. When I was doing it, uh, if I went to, you know, four auditions, one of those jobs was mine. I just felt that way. And okay. when people didn't hire me, I felt sorry for them. <laughs> Did you tell them that? Not to their faces. Sometimes <laughs> later when I'd see some of those same casting directors and they go, remember, even you, we uh, read you for so-and-so. And so, yeah, I remember. Yeah, you should have cast me. <laughs> but yeah, everything happens for a reason, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I said that to Quentin when, you know, I saw him after um, Reservoir Dogs. And I had auditioned for it and mm. I saw him and said, wow, it's a great movie. He said, how'd you like the guy who got your part? Because he remembered me reading. I said, well, definitely would have been a better movie with me in it. But <laughs> you made your choice. Now you got to live with it. <laughs> but then again, it's one of those weird things, like like sliding doors moments. If you, if you had booked Reservoir Dogs, uh, ultimately Jules might have gone somewhere else. 
Things do what they do. Things do what they do. Yeah. There's that amazing scene, obviously, the, the Ezekiel speech, the first time you said, the second time you said, it's very, very different as well. Mm. But the first time, that whole scene with, with uh, you know, with Brett and intimidating him. The killing is that what you call it? Yeah, that's what we call it. What, what are your memories of, uh, of of making that? Well, first of all, we shot the diner. The diner was the first thing we shot mm-hmm. because um, I have no idea why that was the first thing. But we shot that first before we got to any of that other stuff. And then I was off for like two months. Okay, when we shot the diner because I think Bruce was doing Twelve Monkeys, so they had to shoot him out. All right, and okay. Uma was doing something else, so they had to shoot her out. So. From September until December, I basically did nothing. I did a play, actually. Uh, And funnily enough, the play I did, Clark Gregg directed. (laughs) So I was doing this play on Santa Monica while waiting for the movie to crank back up or for them to get back to me. So I didn't get a chance. By the time we came back, we shot. Uh, we started in the car and then, uh, the car on Hollywood Boulevard. And then we, uh, got to the killing room uh-huh. and then we got to the car in the park and then Jimmy's house. So the last thing. Yeah. We shot. So it was a, it was a, you know, it was a roundabout process. Yeah. That's amazing. Cause I'd always thought that Quentin had shot it as largely chronologically as he could. No. By shooting the diner scene first, that's that's fascinating because I guess it was having the location. It was yeah. funny because you know all the people sitting in the place thought John and I were cops. <laughs> the extras, they had no idea what was going on. Okay, yeah. So you you delivered the Ezekiel speech first, and in, in the in the sort of uh, the moment where Jules has a revelation. Yeah, first. the revelation. Yeah. Speech. Well, as he's already had, he's already yeah. had the. The epiphany at the yeah. at the apartment. So he's just sitting there in a the restaurant, you know, telling them. Because interestingly enough, in the original script, um, I don't even know in the published script do they have it. I'm 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 I've never seen the published script. Mm. But in the original script, when Tim first comes over to the table and asks what's in the briefcase, uh, and I tell him I can't give it to him, he tells me he's gonna you know if he's gonna count the whatever, shoot me in the face. I actually close my eyes and I and I I shoot him and I blow Honey Bunny off the top of that bar. Mm. And by the time he gets to three and I open my eyes, they're still there because yeah. that's what I would have done before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which I always wanted to shoot the Quentin. No, if I shoot it, I use it. And I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I said, but you wrote it. Yeah, but did that set you up in a way? Then that that gave you something to contrast against when you came to the killing room sequence and to I'd already the, done all that stuff you know, I mean I knew what was going to happen and I knew how those scenes were going to play out um, just because of what had happened prior to and you know that whole thing when all of a sudden they were thinking about casting somebody else's jewels and I had to fly to LA from New York while I was shooting uh, fresh to get in some acting contest with another actor so they could make up their mind that they were really, oh, you really are the guy we want, mm, not that other guy. It was like, mm. it was stupid, but it happened. Um, going back to Nick Fury and the MCU, I'm doing some interviews this week for Avengers Endgame, and I spoke to Scarlett Johansson and was t- talking to her about what Kevin Feige had said to her when he, you know she signed on for Iron Man 2, and had, you know, had he painted the whole picture, you know, the the Avengers and how it might go, you know, going forward. And she said no, basically, that it was basically a leap of faith 
in, in many ways. And what was your experience like? Because you were on board right from the beginning with, with Nick Fury, right there at the end of Iron Man. Yeah. What did Feige say to you? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> As I continued over the years. Well, that, no, well, no, it hadn't continued over the years. But, I mean, when when I signed on and, you know, I I got the nine-picture deal, it was like, hmm. How long am I going to stay alive to make nine movies? Because, <laughs> you know, making a movie was not an easy process during the time. You figure, well, maybe they'll make one a year or maybe every year and a half they'll make a new one. I didn't know they were going to make nine movies in two years, mm-hmm. you know. So that was nothing, you know, really talk about. It was more, it was, it was actually more about Joss than it was about them. Oh, really? In my mind. Yeah. Yeah. In what way? Well, Joss was the comic book guy. He he had comic book jargon. He had a specific way he wanted you to talk. You know, you couldn't um, add little words or conjugate in certain ways because he didn't want you to conjugate that way because comic book people didn't talk that way. <laughs> so he was real, you know, strict about that. And be like, shit, man, I read comic books. I know people do talk this way. Come on, get over it. <laughs> So he was that guy. And like I said, I had a nine picture deal, so I knew they weren't gonna kill me. So <laughs> you know, it was one of those so so what you gonna do? You gonna fire me? You can't fire me. So I'm gonna say it this way. Yeah, I'm three pictures in, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm good. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Get something you know, use de aging technology. Yeah. yeah no, that, the biggest sort of... problem there was being in Albuquerque. Other than that it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> Is Albuquerque not to your taste? You know, it gets old pretty quick. <laughs> not a lot to do. They got nice golf courses. I enjoy I enjoy playing golf in Albuquerque. Okay, you know, your uh, dietary uh, restrictions are, are restricted. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been there. I know what you mean. Can we talk very very quickly as well, Sam, about the I think the greatest Nick Fury moment to date in the MCU, which is the the car attack scene in the Winter Soldier, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Probably the best action scene in the uh, in the whole MCU to date. I like uh, it a lot. It's fantastic. Yeah. What was that experience like for you? Oh, it was cool, you know, knowing it was going to happen. Jeez, it took about 10, 12 days to shoot that thing. It was great. Four mm. different kinds of vehicles. It was like, it was awesome. Being in there, it's like <laughs> Nick Fury, you know, you get to see Nick Fury in his full control mode. It's like, no panic, you know, okay, you're doing this. Okay, I'm going to do this. This is what's happening now. Let me get this together. Okay, <laughs> pull him in, pull him in, pull him in, and kill him. Let's go, you know. <laughs> so I had a lot of fun doing it, and it was like, for me, it's like, okay, this is the ultimate fury moment. Yeah. You know, to get oh, yeah. this done. And then, you know, disappearing through the hole of the car, through the floor of the car. It's like, <laughs> it is cracking. There's yeah. there's a line in the Avengers where uh, Tony Stark asks, "How does Fury see this?" You know, because he obviously got the patch. Mm-hmm. Someone says he turns. Tony says, "Sounds exhausting." So I have to ask about your acting style with a patch on. Do you turn, and is it exhausting? Mm, it's not exhausting. You got to pivot a bit more, Sam. You got to sometimes you know, I don't turn. Well, keep people guessing. Yeah, keep yourself guessing. Yeah, just just answer. <laughs> works for me works yeah. for me and the very last thing I'm going to do is uh, you're a big Liverpool fan I'm a big Liverpool fan they won today right they won 5-0 okay cool it's amazing do you, yeah. get, do you get to see them often when you're in the UK do you get up to a- uh, I haven't been I haven't been to the, to, to the stadium in I don't know a few years I passed by it a couple of years ago when I was doing uh, Miss Peregrine okay we uh, drove down to Liverpool from Blackpool and yep. hung out for, you know, one day eight and did some stuff, but they weren't playing that day, so I didn't get to go to a game. But, you know, I watch at home. 
Yeah, no, they're they're doing okay. They're doing okay. We'll see how things go. But I will got a I will, tough road ahead. Yeah. Ten games to Gotta go. Win. Yeah, we could we could do it. But there's one thing I want to say, which is there was a point last season when when Liverpool won a game, you would tweet Liverpool, mm-hmm. and it was yeah. one of the things I looked forward to most after a Liverpool win mm-hmm. this season. You know, top of the league, doing pretty well, and you seem to have stopped it. Why? Why is that? Well, it seems like I might have jinxed them last year, so. <laughs> I don't want to fuck that up this year, so I'm leaving them alone until that happens. All right, can you promise if we want to I'll do it at the end. Do it at the end. Yeah. All right, fantastic. Sam Jackson's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. <laughs> okay, so that was Sam Jackson, and I think it behooves us to talk about the movie in which he stars this week. It is a little film called Captain Marvel, hmm. the 21st film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Helen O'Hara, who wrote the review of Captain Marvel, is here right now. Helen, what can you tell us about this film? Without spoiling it, obviously, we'll be doing that yeah. in a spoiler special. So we open on the planet of Hala. Basically, we meet um, Vers. Uh, she's initially known as She's initially known who is Brie Larson's character. She's an am- amnesiac. She doesn't quite know where she belongs. And she's uh, living and fighting with the Kree, who are engaged in a war against the shape-shifting Skrull. And through a series of events, she ends up uh, chasing the Skrull to Earth, uh, which you've, you've seen in the trailers. You all know that's coming. Yep. And working with... Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury to figure out where they are, what's happening. And indeed, she begins to realise she might have a past on Earth and she may be able to figure out who she herself is to boot. It's basically the Born Infinity. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it kind of is, because she's got mad skills. Yeah. Um, she's been fight training with Jude Law's Yon Rog. It's a great name. Um, Rog. Yon I think Rog. I killed that boss in World of Warcraft. I can never remember that no, name. Yon Rog, it's, it's a really nice yoghurt. Um, <laughs> strawberry flavoured delicious anyway you know she she basically is this formidable fighter but she just doesn't have her place in the world she doesn't know yep. where she comes from she doesn't know who she is she's trying to figure that out and it's only when she kind of gets to earth that she begins to learn who she is so I mean what I've said in our review and I I I think I'm right, is that um, this this does take a bit to get going. I think it's a real problem of having an amnesiac uh, hero or heroine is that they don't know who they are and therefore it's hard for you to kind of grasp onto them initially. And I think because she's very strong, because she's very forthright and very, um, you know, she's poking fun at people all the time, making jokes, it's quite hard to see how maybe insecure or or unmoored she feels Uh, and I think it maybe would have been helpful to get a little bit more of that early on in the film Mm. because then we'd maybe sort of sympathise a bit more with her plight which is a plight she is in a you know a slightly difficult situation it is but also the the movie the filmmakers uh, so directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck who also get a co-writing credit as well they make a very interesting choice it's a bit like Thor, I guess, in mm. a way. It's a fish out of water tail, so you have this really powerful being coming to Earth, and Carol, despite the fact she's discombobulated and a bit disaffected by things, is also very supremely confident in her mm. own abilities, yeah. and she's a very cocky character, which I really enjoyed. So maybe that means that some of the emotional blanks that need to be filled in aren't there in the first yeah. first half or so. They, they come later on. Yeah, I think that's it. I think they're they're a little bit too focused on making her cocky and confident. And and those are good things yeah. and it makes sense that she would be. But we also learn that she does have a bit more to go and a bit more to learn about herself. And so maybe mm. just a few more hints of that would have helped. That said, I think once she starts working with Fury, things really take off. The de-aging work on Samuel L. Jackson, mm. by the way, is 
pretty stunning throughout. There's a couple of moments where you can maybe see or something looks a bit odd with his makeup, but generally it's it's phenomenal, phenomenal work. And the two of them just have this really great odd couple chemistry. It's kind of nice to see someone explaining things to him for once. I have to say, it's kind of that's kind of good. But it's also it's just a really nice dynamic. They're both kind of you know sarky and um, tough. I guess, and very capable, but mm. in very different ways. So it kind of works. So yeah, I just I just uh, really enjoyed it. I think it really builds. I think it's got one of the most, for me, satisfying finales of any Marvel movie. It does take a little bit of time to get going, but there's, there's lots of great moments along the way. But just that, mm. as we say, that sort of emotional arc takes a little bit of time to kick in. But I, I did really, really like where it ended up, and I'm really excited to see what she does in future. Yeah, it's really, really, really good. This is a, this is a film which I... I the amount of misplaced hatred for this on the internet makes me want to say, it's a five-star classic and you're all twats and I hate you all. I unfortunately <laughs> can't do that. I didn't think it was. It's one of the films where I do like it. I think it's great. Uh, I recommend everyone go and see it. But I liked it more than loved it, I think. Mm. I think part of the issue with it for me was I felt the script was, at times, a little bit flat. There were elements where I wasn't bored, but there wasn't a great deal going on in the way of action. There wasn't a great deal going on in the way of humour and it was just sort of like uh, meat and potatoes plot movement. Okay. Which is fine, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when the bar has been raised so high by the likes of Infinity War, it's hard not to want more of that. And I know that's incredibly privileged to say, I want all films to be like this. But I think it speaks volumes that, you know, I don't think it's a huge spoiler to say that there are hints towards Endgame in this. And those are the parts that really got my pulse racing. Just like, oh my God, that this is like the appetizer to a film which is going to be incredible. So very, very good in and of itself, Mm -hmm. but bring on Endgame. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting what you say there. I think the action scenes in this are are fine as yeah, things go, fine. but nothing really gets the, mm. the blood racing, mm. I would say, in the way that, for example, Winter Soldier does with the oh, yeah. scene like, and the, level the Nick of, Fury scene. There's, there's not the level of, of invention, I think, to it. Yeah. Like, it feels quite by the numbers. But that said, all of these criticisms aside, Brie Larson is superb in this role. And I think even though the script is at times flat, I think she breathes life into sections that someone else maybe wouldn't have done in the same way. I think she she really does elevate it, you know, as the character of, of well, Carol Danvers, not so much mm. Captain Marvel, because mm. that's a name that wasn't really applied. But uh, but yeah, she, she's really, really good. And I think anyone who's sort of hating on her at the moment really can just go and do one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is 21 movies in, uh, the first solo superhero movie featuring mm. a, a woman in, mm. the, in the title role. Uh, obviously, we had Ant-Man and the Wasp last year. And it's co-directed, of course, by a woman as well, Anna Bowden. Mm-hmm. And it certainly is about a, a, a woman making her way in a, in a man's world. And coming up, uh, I saw an interview this week, there's a, there's a moment in the film, I won't spoil too much, obviously, but there's a moment in the film where some uh, douchebag tells Carol Danvers to smile. <laughs> and uh, how she retaliates is very, very fun. And there was an interview with Brie Larson where she said that's basically just a female experience. Yeah, that's just normal. Sorry, Helen, can you smile a bit more when you say that, please? No. Okay. <laughs> Feel free to kill him at any time. Uh, yeah, also, I, as a child of the 90s myself, I loved all the uh, the it's, 90s attire and yeah. the bands and the T-shirts and the check shirts around your waist and DMs. And, oh, took me back, it did. I was just asking Helen about the female experience. And you started answering your <laughs> and I, I've mansplained the female experience. Well, Helen, as a man, I can say the female experience really is excellent. Well, that, I mean, that was an awfully good <laughs> summation of the female experience in fairness. Yeah. Oh, but, that. but that's why that's why the ending of the film works so well for me, because mm. it actually does get into that precise point. Yeah. And I'm not going to, again, spoil anything more than I already have in my uh, review on that point. But it's, 
I think it's a really, really powerful um, message yeah. at the end of the day. And, uh, and you know, there are a lot of men in this film, guys, who are not being left out, you know. <laughs> I, I was making men. a spreadsheet. Yeah. yeah. Jude Law, Ben Mendelsohn, Clark Gregg, yeah. they're Willie's all everywhere. there. So <laughs> yes, I was surprised by okay. that scene. <laughs> well, you know, scrolls. Yeah. Uh, I will say also, I really, really enjoyed your review to the extent that having seen the film and liked it, having read your review, I like it more now in retrospect. <laughs> Genuinely, that was a bit at the end of that review. I was like, oh, oh yeah, it really was, wasn't it? And it just, it's, it's made me appreciate it more in, re- in retrospect. So I do recommend everyone read Helen's review, oh, thank yeah. you. which is on empireonline.com at the moment. Don't let the fact it was written by a woman put you off, guys. <laughs> yeah, this review is not written for you, men. Yeah. It's only for women, so Helen, you are excluded. Oh, my God. Helen so does words good. So sexist of you. So sexist, James. Jeez. Uh, yeah, I, I, I need to see this film again. I've only seen it once, and I liked it. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, but there are problems we'll get into in the spoiler special mm. in great detail. But one of my issues with the film is that it feels a little bit like something we've seen before. The cosmic stuff feels like Guardians of the Galaxy, the... the the stuff on Earth feels like Thor, a little bit. There's obviously little bits and pieces and different flavours in there as well, and different textures, but I don't think it gave us anything new in the way that Black Panther did with Wakanda, in the way that Ant-Man did with his shrinking powers and with the quantum realm, and the way that Doctor Strange yeah. did visually, certainly at least, with the different universes. I think that's true. I think they could have done a little bit more with the 90s setting to, to kind of justify that and you know give us a yeah. bit more of that flavour of the new time period or the old time period. I would like to have seen a little bit more of that. But at the same time, it's, this feels a bit to me like the first Avenger, which has become over time one of my favourite MCU <laughs> movies. And I know I'm alone in this and I don't care. You know, it feels like something that's setting up a lot of stuff that will pay off in the future. And that yeah. might mean that we go back and watch this and like it even more than we than we do already mm. um, and so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm really excited actually to see it again I haven't had a chance yet to see it more than once and I'm, mm. I'm very much looking forward to it because I think like a lot of Marvel films for me I think it's going to be a grower yeah. uh, we will see it again though before we record our spoiler special you'll be delighted to know so we won't be just vaguely fumbling around in the dark whilst discussing <laughs> this movie and that spoiler special will be up on Monday March 11th and it will feature an in-depth spoilerific interview with the film's co-directors and co-writers Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck and it's going to be very, very interesting indeed. Four stars then for Captain Marvel. And now we go from Captain Marvel, which is a film beset by trolls, to a film about trolls, and that is Border, the Swedish film Border. Uh, it is another film like Let the Right One In, based on a story by John Advide Linkvist. And I apologize, I know we have a lot of Swedish listeners, and I have just appalled you with my pronunciation. I'm so, so sorry. And this one stars. Eva Melander as Tina, who is a security guard. She's a a border patrol officer in Sweden, and she has a unique ability. She has a very interesting appearance. She's quite troll-like, because, turns out, spoiler alert, she is indeed a troll. And one of her unique abilities is the ability to sniff evil. Essentially, she smells evil, if you, if, if you will. And so she begins to track down a sort of paedophilia ring. In the course of her duties, she comes into contact with another troll, Fora, played by Iro Milanov. And they start a unique relationship together. And it's a voyage of discovery for her. And it's, I thought this movie was fascinating. I thought it was pretty terrific, actually. Really, really great makeup, which enhances the central performances from the, from the, the core duo. And it's this wonderful story. It's not like Let the Right One In in that it's not particularly scary. It doesn't have the snowbound setting, but it plays with similar themes of isolation. It plays with similar themes of what it means to be human. And it's about nature versus nurture as well. And it's about uh, Tina's discovery, foliage of discovery, as she goes from being this person who has 
no idea how she fits into the world, but she knows that something's not right. And then gradually it begins to click into place for her as well. And it goes into some unexpected directions, shall we say. So it is directed by Ali Abbasi and it is well worth your time if you can go out and see it. In fact, in a weird, 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 weird way, it makes a very nice double bill with Captain Marvel. <laughs> Lots of thematic similarities going on there in this one. So four stars then for Border. Check it out if you can this weekend. Also opening this week is a British movie called Ray and Liz, which is the debut of the noted photographer Richard Billingham. Uh, we haven't seen this one ourselves, but we gave it at Empire four stars, and it is uh, apparently a wonderful, startling series of vignettes, if you will, that appear into the life of the title characters Ray and Liz, who live on a council estate in the black country during the Thatcher era. So four stars then for Ray and Liz. Right, good week. Okay, yeah, very good week. Very, very good week indeed. And that is it for this week's Empire podcast. More early starts for podcasting future. How do you how do you feel? Went? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Good. Get Jump out of the way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next week for more film related fun. We'll be joined by Andrew Garfield, Ooh. star of Under the Silver Lake, and also dun, 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 Simon Amstel writer and director of the new film, Benjamin. Cool. How exciting. It's all neither, about the Benjamin. It is all about the Benjamin. Neither of those interviews have happened yet, so there's every chance that I might have egg on my face this time <laughs> next week. But that is who we have on the spreadsheet. But so. you, you usually have egg on your face anyway. I've told you to try and eat your sandwiches more neatly, but... <laughs> I don't like egg and sandwiches. <laughs> oh. I don't, I don't, I don't, well, just... that joke's fallen flat then. No, no, but I think I don't think the joke fell flat, Helen, but I think the listeners have learned a little bit more about me. <laughs> And are a little bit more enriched. Do you like egg in your sandwiches? I actually do like an egg sandwich, yes. James? Only if it's heated with sausage. Uh, we're back to stroking <laughs> Willie <laughs> once again. I think your weekend plans have been laid pretty bare. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. On that bombshell, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from James Dyer. I'll be back. <laughs> what? What does that even mean? I know. I thought I'd go full Arnie, you know, just for shits and giggles. All right. Okay. It is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to give Captain Marvel 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> but trying for the last couple of weeks, but for some reason, it just won't take. What is that? What's up with that? So weird. So strange. So, so weird. Anyway, thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.